quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. When you are looking for detail-oriented for people that are going to spend a high volume of time on your property, those are the ones that you want to hold to a higher accountability level because those are the ones that you're going to see the majority of the missteps with. And also because simultaneously, those are two vendors that are helping to contribute to your rent premiums that you're able to achieve. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hey, Best Ever listeners, this is Matt Faircloth, and welcome to the Best Ever Real Estate Investing Advice Show. I'm your host today, and I've got the DeRosa team here with me that's going to be talking about all things multifamily fundamentals for you. In this short series that we've created for the best ever audience, we're going to be talking all things multifamily. So whether you're a multifamily passive investor or a multifamily operator, you'll be getting all kinds of tips and tricks that you can bring to your multifamily investing business each episode, everything from forming investor relationships, finding markets, to finding deals, to bringing those deals to fruition. All those things are going to be presented in this series that we're super excited to be presenting to you today. So let's get started. What is going on, Best Ever community? It's Matt Faircloth here doing a contribution to the Best Ever podcast. And I am super grateful for you guys listening to this program. And I'm grateful for the Best Ever community for giving my company, the DeRosa Group, the opportunity to get in front of the microphone and talk all things multifamily ownership to you guys. It's a grind on a multifamily. We're going to talk about it today. Today, we're going to get into an interesting conversation because a lot of parts of the multifamily business get talked about a lot. And those are the ones about how much money can you raise and how many deals you're doing. Now, sometimes what are you selling and how much are you making? Those are the conversations that folks would love to. If you ask like chat GPT, what does multifamily ownership do? Then that's likely what it would tell you that it is. Oh, we raise money and we buy deals because that's all social media says. But the real money of multifamily ownership gets owned on the management side. It gets owned once you own the sticks and bricks and that time from closing it to selling it and then properly evaluating it, of course, during the due diligence period. Today, we're super lucky to have Tara Smiley, who's a DeRosa Group team member. She is the head of the asset management department and also the lead on the creation of DeRosa Living, which is an in-house property management company. So today, we're going to talk about property management from an owner's perspective, and you want to do it yourself, you want to hire out PM, all those things that it takes to manage the assets that you guys have. So Tara, thank you so much for joining me today for the Best Ever Show. It's going to be fun. So guys... I want to underscore one thing. We're going to talk about property management, and we're also going to talk about asset management. So as we know, because Justin Fraser has been on the show as well with me a few times, and he and I have talked a bunch of shop about those kinds of things. And in our accelerator program and, and all those good different times, we've talked about property management, asset management. Give me your perspective on the difference between the two before we hop in and start talking about things you have to have in place when you do a deal day one. That's really what today's conversation is going to be vendors you have to have in place and things you have to have on the ground day one when you buy an asset. But before we get there, property management, asset management, what are they? Why are they different? In fairness, depending on the ownership, they can be almost the same thing, just a different title. But inherently, the biggest difference is that from an asset management position, you're really driving it with the goal and the path, right? You're the brain. The property management 
They're the operations. Those are the hands and the feet doing the path to walk the path to get you to your goal achievement. So from an asset management perspective, I think sometimes it's easy to focus on the numbers and the financials and your world can exist in a spreadsheet. And from a property management perspective, your world really exists with your staff. To me, that's the easiest way to break it down. But from a functional perspective, you do a lot of the exact same things, just coming at it from different perspectives. You do, and I agree with you, when you own the full vertical, as DeRosa does, we own everything from the coal mine all the way out to the steel mill to everything else at DeRosa, but not everybody does. So it's important to delineate when I look at it, like asset management, as we'll talk about when we have Justin Fraser on the show, asset management is representing things from an ownership perspective. Property management is sometimes, if you don't own the PM company, it is a third-party vendor. It's another company. And it's important for people to realize that your goals may be different. The goals of the asset manager and the goals of the property manager could be different things. And the needles that they're going to watch, the things they care about, the things that they're incentivized for could be very different, right? So we don't have to unpack that because we've got a whole other program coming up as, <laughs> as a, a best ever lot. contribution. That's a whole other <laughs> half an hour show, right? But yeah. The reason I'm bringing it up is to start with the conversation of the team that you need to have in place when you buy a multifamily asset and your asset manager, which could be representing you and the property manager is another entity. The PM is the first key team member when you buy a property. I'm going to fast forward you and say, hey, Tara, we're going to look at a new market. Let's say currently we're active in multiple markets of North Carolina. We're active in Lexington, Kentucky. We're active in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Let's say I tell you, you know, Tara, you know, where we're going, we're going to Tampa, Florida. That's where we're going because we just says that's, that's what we saw. You come to me and say, okay, Matt, before we make an offer, I need to have on my team. A lot. I need to have a lot. I need to have a team. First of all, right. I need yeah. to have a team. So I need a property management crew. I need a crew that knows that market because if it's a new market for me, I need to surround myself with people that know better than me in that I market, can't right? Just look on LoopNet and Rentometer and and you, those kind of you I can't could. apartments.com to get Yeah, the absolutely. That's it. Throw in a little bit of Craigslist in there too, and you can source all kinds of things. But 10% so, touch I mean, factor off we go. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so I'm the deal is guys, but you need the local boots on the ground. Tara and I are not active in Tampa. And if we were to buy in Tampa, it is important to have people that know the Tampa market. Like, yeah, apartments.com says you're going to get a thousand dollars a month for that two bedroom. But guess what? You're not going to get it because this is the other side of the tracks or whatever it may be. They know those markets. So keep going. Property management team that knows the market. Tell me more. Yeah. So you need a property management team that knows the market, not only knows the market, but knows also the type of asset that you're looking at bringing in as part of your portfolio, because you want to make sure that they currently manage assets that are in the same class and the same sub market. They know what to do. You can't hire a class A property management company to manage a solely value add 100% renovation portfolio. Those things tend to not jive very well for an owner's We benefit. actually tried that. We tried that at DeRosa one time. We were trying How, to, how'd we, that we work out? To relieve one, not so good. Not so good. To relieve one property manager of their duties to say it about as nicely as I could to free them up to go take on other obligations. Maybe that's another way to say it, right? And is a C-class asset. It's all good. God bless. People need to live in properties like that too, right? So property built in mid-70s, okay? And we had a company come in that ran mostly new construction. 
And Tara, I got to tell you, it was night and day. We were talking about car tires and grapefruits with this company. Meaning I got the car tires. They're trying to sell me grapefruits. Not so much. Not working. They are the level of maintenance support that they did not understand the level of maintenance that a 1970s vintage property will need. Guess what? They don't do it in new construction. They're not supposed to. But pipes actually leak sometimes. Did you know that? They were unaware of that. Unaware, apparently, in their world, pipes do not leak. (laughs) They're not aware of leaks. Not aware the roofs also do leak and sometimes need to be replaced. Well, and the deal is, like, at the end of the day, you got to remember, you're hiring a specialist. That's really and truly what they are. You're not looking for the average Joe Schmo. You're looking for the PM company that knows your market. They know your class of an asset and one that speaks the same language. And really, that's probably the crux of the issue for me, at least. That's the primary driver for achievement here. They got it right. And we just speak the same language. At the end of the day, they've just got to understand that this property is going to need these things. This is the expense burden we can put on it because you're talking multifamily. You are putting real expense load on a property. And a typical multifamily asset, transition here, we're talking about a 100-unit apartment building. They come to me and say, okay, I need one in, one out, meaning one person in the office, one person out of the office, and I need to be able to build an expense burden around those things. They need to be able to build a team that knows what they're doing on an asset that's a 1970s build or a new construction build because there's people that are used to running older properties and are not the right fit for running a new construction property. They're just not the All right day long. Touch on it real quick, because all people, that's a slang I had to learn in working with folks like yourself that come from a deep property management background. You talk about one in, one out, two in, one out, that kind of thing. What's all that crazy talk? You're talking about how deep is the bench and in what positions. So one in, one out, you're talking admin and maintenance. And those are typically admin or typically the in, like as in the office. And then maintenance and grounds out, as in outside and freezing and shivering and doing it all in the rain. But the industry standard forever and ever has been for every 100 units, you need one in, one out, one in the office and one on maintenance. What we have noticed really and truly in the last probably five years, and again, it's another one of those beautiful post-COVID effects, has been that that standard is changing. And we are really and truly looking for a higher ratio of staff to number of units. What's your DeRosa sweet spot for assets that we look at or that you manage? What's the equation that you're looking for these days? Really and truly, I'm leaning more to 150 to one. So 150 units. But the only thing that I'll change about that is that I am a big believer in sharing staff. So I may hire a one-to-one, but I'm also going to hire a grounds person, which a lot of people don't consider in that maintenance equation. And I'm also going to probably hire for a floating leasing person. So sharing the wealth, especially when you start growing a portfolio of more than one property in that market area, you can really share the wealth across those properties, cover vacations, cover sick days, cover very busy times of year. So it allows you to expand your resource potential. So 150 units would equal one in, one out. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Um, From the standardized. If you've only got one property, if we're going to go to Florida, we're going to buy one deal. I'm probably looking at- We're not really going to do that, but yeah, but keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to buy four deals. (laughs) Yeah. So really and truly, I'm probably looking at about 75 units per one person. If it's going to be a standalone- I have nobody else to really gap fill with. I'm going to look at 75 units for a one in, one out. 
the higher the level of customer service you can provide to your residents, the better that you're going to be. Yeah. 75 for one in, one out, 150 for two in, two out and everything like that. And I love what you said about a half a person, right? So if I have an asset down the road, to be honest, leasing agents, right? Why can't my leasing agent work Monday, Wednesday, Thursday at this property and Tuesday and Friday at the other property, right? Yeah. And we Um, do it. And if you own both of them, why can't they say, oh, does this two bedroom not work for you? Well, guess what? I just had a two bedroom vacate that actually butts right up to the pool at the asset down the road. Would you like that? Or has an exit right into the parking lot or has a whatever, first floor entrance, whatever it is you're looking for. I happen to have that down the road. If the leasing agent you've got only works at a one asset you have and doesn't work at the other asset you own right down the road, they might not know what you have down the street. And it's like a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. Like they're going to help you lease on both sides. And unless it's a ginormous asset, the leasing agent might have the time to stretch. It's same with groundskeeping, same with specialized maintenance technicians. Maybe you hire one person that knows how to repair HVAC that's refrigeration certified that you can float. And every time a unit goes down, you can float them. The only way that you get there, listeners, is by being market specific. Now on the asset management side, I know we talked about this when we had Hervé on for the market conversation, but give me the perspective that you on asset management have and why it's important for a business to focus on markets. Give me a few reasons why to not just do a deal in Tampa and then another one in Miami and then a deal in Orlando and then one in Jacksonville or whatever. Why shouldn't we scatter? Why can't I just chase opportunities, Tara? I was just chasing yield. Why should I focus on a market? We focus on a market for a, a variety of really, really good reasons. First and foremost is because we've done our homework on those markets. You know, everybody talks about that all the time. You're kind of your pre-qualifiers. What checks the box based on what type of asset and what kind of yield you're looking for? So once we find a market that checks that box, the reason that we really and truly dig into that market is that market's going to dictate our pricing. It's going to dictate our ceiling. How much of a rent premium can we get? It's also going to dictate the scope of a lot of the work that we do. So we do a lot of renovations. Now we can come in and do pie in the sky and I want this fixture and this and this and this, but why would I drop $8,000, $10,000 a unit on renovations if that's not anything that the market is interested in? And we can tell that by looking at our competitors, looking at the properties that are down the street, looking at the property that we don't want to be, looking at the property that we do want to emulate and grow up and be it someday. So they'll tell us what the market's interested in. They'll tell us how much of a supply and demand is there, which tells us how much room we have to move. And then they'll dictate price in the ceiling. So your market drives a lot of your capacity. Yeah. And I can also look at my own assets too. Once you fast forward in your head, guys, like if Tara and I really do decide to go to Tampa and as I adjusted it, but we're not going to buy just one apartment building there because that's not what we do. We actually have a term when we pick a new market and talk to new brokers at our company, we tell the brokers. We tell our team, everyone, we are going to keep expanding in this market until we achieve at least a thousand units because we found that to be a really good point of saturation. Because also we're vertically integrated now, meaning we own the PM company that's going to run these assets, it's going to help from a team perspective. It's going to help scale out and hire the right people. You can afford to hire right if you own a couple of properties in the market. It's very hard to hire a team and to throw payroll out there if you only own one asset. It's kind of hard to get the attention of the market. And in addition, you can people share, as we said before. Yes. For us, we've got a pretty big market share 
in the Lexington area. So when I'm looking and evaluating those markets, and we do that at least once a month, how cool is it that I can pick any property in Lexington and ask them who their top five competitors are? And guaranteed, at least three of their comps are properties we own. And I yeah. love it, yeah. Yeah. right? <laughs> so that tells me that we as a company and then all of my individual sites and those teams, we're driving the market, which is great. It's a fantastic position to be in. Yeah. Now let's transition because this is in the same conversation, but also a segue to hiring people that are non-property. We talked about property managers, talked about one in, one out. I'm going to put a pin in one thing. We haven't talked about this role called the regional manager that works for the PM company. We're going to talk about them in just a second. We'll get back to that. But I want to just segue one more thing in that there are other vendors that are not your PM company. You want to make sure you've got in place. And if you have the goal to own or do own a good amount of assets in a specific market, you can work out really good deals with folks like roofers or HVAC repair companies or third-party landscaping companies and say, I can give you not just one apartment building, I can give you a couple here as we grow and expand. Again, I tell you, fast forward back to Tampa, Florida. I said, Tara, this is where we're going. Aside from the PM company, who else do you need to have in your Rolodex day one when we take ownership? It's pretty simple. Either you go one of two ways or a little bit in between. You either have a fantastic GC, a general contractor that can literally do it all. And they will be your saving grace and your lifesaver and all that in a bag of chips. Or you evaluate that asset for every flat surface, every fixture, every system it has. You need to be the person that's got a guy for that. So your units have HVAC, you need an HVAC. You need a plumber, you need an electrician, you need a painter and a cleaner. And then you need some of your niche specialties like a resurfacer or a tiling guy, right? The goal is, is that you've built together a bench of depth of vendors that it'll allow you to keep moving no matter what happens. So you take ownership on day one and on day two, you can still be turning apartments. You can be creating rent ready product for people to move into so that you're not losing a second, not losing a breath. Yeah. And for those listening, I don't want you all having a panic attack over here trying to scramble down all those vendors that Tara just said, but I want you guys to remember one thing. Good people know good people. So the plumber that came referred by three other real estate investors and your mortgage broker and your property manager all reference the same plumber. They're probably a good plumber. Okay. Then if you need a roofer, guess what? Ask that plumber for a good roofer because he's likely not going to refer you to the fly-by-night that's going to steal your deposit and get on down the road because the plumber doesn't want to lose your business. So if you find someone that you like and trust that's a vendor, ask them for other people that they like and trust because good people know good people. I've been referred to great contractors by other great contractors. So folks with integrity tend to hang out with other folks that have with integrity. It just do. Well, and bear in mind that reputation works both ways to benefit. So when your vendor, because they referred that second vendor to you, they're going to look out for you because that's their reputation on the line. But bear in mind that as an owner, your reputation matters to those vendors too. So if you make them part of your team, you'll be in the position like we are with several vendors where we effectively are 95, 99% of their business. So when either myself or one of my team calls and says, I've got a last minute emergency, I need you, they come because we've built that rapport and reputation to working together so well. Absolutely. So just backtracking now to where I, well, let me pull out that pin I put up there a minute ago. 
we were in transition and I had kind of forgotten that we forgot to talk about regional manager. Regional yeah. manager. Yeah. 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 Okay. The property manager has the local onsite team, one in, one out, that kind of thing for mid-size and large multifamily assets. None of the one in, one out thing is true on 10, 15, 20, 30 units. But once you get into, you know, as Tara said, around 70 units, single site, you're going to end up having on-site staff that has payroll associated to it and that your property is paying the payroll on. There's also this person called a regional manager who's not on payroll. They're on the payroll of the property management company and their money comes from the PM fee that you pay. Who are they and what do they do, Tara? They are your puppet master. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Your regional, and I get to say this because I was one for Matt. So your regional, really and truly, they are your translator. So they're your liaison between the site team and the asset ownership and asset management. They are the ones that you have communicated your vision, your goals, your underwriting, your lender requirements, all your insurance needs, everything that's important to you about this asset, you've communicated to them and they are supposed to take that what and translate it into actionable items for the teams to fulfill so that you can achieve your what, your why, and your how, okay? They are the puppet master for the rest of the team. They are your primary point of contact and information for anything and everything HR related, anything and everything CapEx, ops, income, just everything. This is your renaissance man or woman that can handle it all because that's literally in their job description. That's what they do. I think you nailed it when you said single point of contact. In my experience... 99% of the communications between the ownership team and the property management team flow through the regional manager. Regional managers, maybe not there for all the answers, all the this, all the everything, but they certainly can get the data for the owner. And if the owner needs something tweaked, you got to push a little bit to get leases up and we want to get rents up at a certain property. We want to get leases up or we're thinking of selling one of our properties or we want to buy a property right down the street from another one that we own. Your regional manager is likely going to be your first contact. The property management company can be a large organization with lots of employees. And so you can kind of get lost in the sauce with that, that single point of contact, but they can direct you to where you want to go and collect data. Good regionals in some ways are like the extension of the owner's interest through them. But too many owners treat their regional as if they work for the owner as an owner. employee. They do not. And that's one thing I want you guys to remember listening is that when you buy a multifamily asset and you end up interacting with a regional, they could be very on point. They could have their game together. All that said, remember one thing, they work for the property management company. And we found that out the hard way that they represent PM company interest as much as they may do what you need them to do and to do your bidding, raise rents, find me another maintenance technician, hire this person, let that person go, all those things. Don't forget, they're paycheck at the end of the month has the PM company's name at the top of it, not yours. Mm -hmm. The only caveat that I'll throw out there, Matt, is that yes, the regional manager, the RM works for the property management company. So obviously it's going to have PM interest first and foremost, but you have to remember too, that sometimes we as ownership do not always have a full grasp or are not always 100% focused on some of the things that the PM company is accountable for that we are not, like laws, fair housing, federal requirements, 
So in fairness, sometimes as ownership, we think we have solved it. We have the answer to world peace and all of our lenders' questions if the property management company would only do X, Y, and Z. And the, that regional is also the person that's got to come back and say, no, and here's why. So a good regional is your doer, but they are also the person whose primary job and responsibility is to protect everyone and everything from liabilities, whether that's the property management company, their employer, but also you as the client, the asset owner. And so their job is to save everybody from a citation. Yeah. And be willing to uphold certain standards, of course, with regards to ethics and law. But also, as you know, you and I have seen bad PM companies and good PM companies. And some of those bad PM companies will do whatever it is an owner says to do, like, such as, I want you to lease out these units. A typical industry standard is three times the rent should be how much someone has an earned income to financially prosper and to be able to pay the rent fairly easily on a regular basis if they can balance a checkbook fairly well and everything like that. Now, you and I both heard of owners that have gone to their PM companies. And if you go to a good PM company with a good regional manager and said, hey, I need you to drop that to 2X because I want to lease out more units and I want to go to two times the rent for earned income because I want to open up this property to more people and just show higher rents for a little bit. A good regional is going to say, no, can't do that. That's not our company standard. That would reflect badly upon my company. And that's also not going to be good for you, Mr. Owner. But a bad PM company will say, oh, sure, no problem. So yeah, to back you up further, I agree that a good regional that's willing to speak their mind here and to be an agent for both sides, it's a tough job. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. But it's also massively fun. Yes. It's never boring. It is entertaining every day. It is like whack-a-mole, right? There's always right. a new mold of whack every day, right? Um, every day. That's good stuff. Okay, so we've talked about vendors. We've talked about PM companies. We've talked about folks you need to have on the ground when you guys are looking at new assets. Unfortunately, Tara, sometimes it just doesn't work out. We're going to talk about PM companies in a second. But let's say, when is it time with regards to vendors? My plumber, my roofer, my HVAC company, my landscaper, whatever it may be, right? I might find I either need to tweak or fire, right? Mm -hmm. In your work as a regional and as an asset manager, how many times when you just want to tweak the plan and keep using them and times when it's really time to fire and find yourself a new vendor? What does that look like? In my playbook, and granted, the disclaimer is I'm a baseball girl, okay? So for me, I'm a straight three strikes and you're out. It comes back to that communication. So the first red flag is maybe I didn't communicate clearly, or maybe the vendor just didn't want to do it. But either way, what I'm getting is not what I want. So it's a restatement. Here's what I'm trying to get. Here's what you gave me and they're not working out, right? So we're just going to have that conversation. These two things are not the same. No. And And this is where we talk about it being the sandwich. I'm really glad that you're working so hard. This doesn't look really good, but I've got a lot of hope for you coming up. Okay. So you have that. That's strike one. Strike two is pretty simple. We've already had this conversation. I don't want to have to find a new vendor. I'm sure you don't want to have to find new business. But if we can't get there, that's going to be the outcome. Okay? Next time I show well, up. I, I, I see we're tightening up a little bit more there, right? Conversation number you, one is like, you hey, do. like we missed. Let's discuss. Do we agree that we missed? <laughs> and conversation number two kind of seems like, hey, 
I don't want to do this. I don't want to do option three. And you know, you don't want option three either, do you? And with everything else, no different than this, everything's a choice. I've given you two roads, pick one. And hopefully you pick the one I want to go on. And if not, I'm going to walk it alone without you. <laughs> Your choice. And strike three is when I show up the next time, and I'll tell them this from the beginning, if I come back again and we're just not on the same path here, we're going to just call a spade a spade and end it. Now, it starts, however, with communication. Yeah. If you as an owner are not clearly communicating, number one, what it is that you need and why, because it's important to communicate the why so that they understand the full story, the full picture, and what it is that you're trying to achieve, some of the responsibility for this issue will fall on yourself. So clearly communicate, be very candid, and let them know right from the beginning what the expectations are. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. A 1031 exchange is one of the greatest tools to build your real estate portfolio. But before you sell your next investment property, if you want to save thousands in capital gains taxes, please give our friends at 1031 Pros a call. Whether you're an individual investor, title company, or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help you or your clients with their 1031 exchange needs. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros specializes in various types of exchanges like delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states, all while ensuring your transaction is fast, reliable, transparent, and secure. 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and right now, best ever listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash best ever. That's my1031pros.com slash best ever to get $250 off today. Have you heard that Mint, the popular personal finance app, is shutting down? If you use Mint, that's bad news. The good news is that there's an even better alternative, Monarch Money. Monarch gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with others. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. Most personal finance apps are clunky and cluttered with ads. Monarch is different. Its intuitive design makes setup, customization, and everyday use simple and easy. Monarch is also the most customizable budgeting app available. You can change your dashboard layout, create custom budgets and notifications, and even invite your partner, accountant, or financial advisor to have a joint view of your finances at no extra cost. Once you try Monarch for yourself, you'll understand why it was named 2024's best budgeting app by the Wall Street Journal. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash best ever for your extended 30-day free trial. So talk me through as a regional manager, because it's typically the one that's going to be interfacing with this, flowing back to the app manager. What vendor needs the most management? Aside from the property management company themselves, who needs the most oversight that you got to watch? It might have to fire, might have to have these difficult conversations with on a regular basis. Who should we keep an eye out for? For me, it's actually two. Okay. Usually it's a landscaper. Ah, uh, okay. Because the thing is, they walk around or they ride around the exact same thing once a week. And after a while, they really kind of stop seeing it. And then the other one, it's not that you'll have problems, but for the same reason as a landscaper, it's your vendor that's doing your renovations. Because if you give them 10 units and they're doing the same thing in all 10, yes, it's really easy to become very efficient. It's also easy for them to gloss it over because they stop really seeing it for the details. It's just one more unit. So 
when you are looking for detail oriented for people that are going to spend a high volume of time on your property, those are the ones that you want to hold to a higher accountability level because those are the ones that you're going to see the majority of the missteps with. And also because simultaneously, those are two vendors that are helping to contribute to your rent premiums that you're able to achieve. One from curb appeal and two from your products itself. Yeah. Yeah. And they're the ones, as you said, that probably make the most first impression. So they're the most important, but they're the ones that kind of can get subject to Groundhog's Day. You're right. Landscaper, I don't ever mow around the sign in front of the property and didn't have to bother with that in November, but in July, right. you're going to have grass three feet high around the entrance sign for your property. You don't want that. I've had conversations with landscapers where I'm standing at one of our biggest properties and be like, you know, you forgot the entire hill up there, right? Because <laughs> everything is this long, except for that hill, which is a inches deep yeah. and they'll look at me and they're like huh yeah i did yeah <laughs> so, you're right about that i didn't know you owned that hill <laughs> right like <laughs> yeah right totally oh. forgot i needed to do that yeah and in fairness the majority of your vendors you'll never have to get straight to yes 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 they, they, they want your business they're really not out to rob you most of them are anyway most of them are not out to be ne'er-do-wells or whatever it is they really want to do right and with a little bit of leadership and help from you, they tend to bring it back around. The other issue that we've had, as I know firsthand with vendors, is they could be phenomenal at their trade. The best repairer of things or installer of things, but unless they're a reasonable size operation, they might not be the best at their books. They might not be the best at getting bills out on time. They might not be the best at just running their financial house because you can't be great at everything, can you? So they might need your help a little bit on making the invoices match with what the quote was and everything like that. Right, Tara? You are. And sometimes you will feel like you are their office secretary. But in fairness, those efforts, I find most of my site team and myself are willing to make because the end product that we're getting from that vendor is worth it. And because in fairness, by me assisting them, I'm actually making my job easier. Yes, it's taking a little bit of time, but it's taking less time than if they had done it on their own schedule, given me something that I needed to send back to them three times because for some reason they misspelled their own email address. I don't know. It's work, but it's worth it, I guess is my answer. It is. And I think that a lot of the folks that you get really are specialists in that world. And maybe they might not be the best bookkeepers out there but they can sure do their trade that they're here to do, which we need them to do for us. Transitioning, Tara, we talked a bit about guys who you need to have boots on the ground day one. We talked a bit about property management relationships, all those kinds of things. Now, Tara, you've come from a world of working with pretty much the largest property management companies in the United States to working at other PM companies to now working on the ownership side. To those listening, I've got quite a bit of people, hopefully, listening to this program right now. We're lucky. We've got lots of folks listening now that are either existing or rising owners or passive investors in multifamily assets. It's not very often we get to have someone on that has lived on the vendor side of things. We've got you to join the dark side, drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and join the ownership <laughs> team and that. But before then, you worked with a lot of owners. And you might have worked with great owners. And maybe Doros is a great owner. But you might have worked with owners that are not so great. That's cool. Maybe they don't know, maybe they're whatever. Give us some tips. Let's unpack this a little bit. What makes a great owner from a vendor and property manager's perspective? And what makes not so great of an owner? Give us some help here. Okay. So really and truly what we're talking about is the dating game. 
the dating game between the ownership and the PM yeah. vendor partner. Yeah. So without sounding cheesy and cliched, yes, it all comes down to communication. Right? That's too cheesy and um, cliche. I need you to explain. I that. feel like I need that nighttime radio voice for this part of the segment. <laughs> so it is. It really and truly is. It's about communication. As an ownership, you want to be able to communicate these these are my desired goals. This is what I'm trying to achieve short term and long term. And this is what kind of role I want to have in this relationship. And you're also checking in with them. Does that work for you guys? Does it fit your structure and your vibe and your feel? At the same time, you're in that dating game with them. How are they communicating with you, right? Does it match your expectations? Are your expectations realistic? And what's the general vibe? What's the feel? And if you proceed past that second or third date, okay, now we've got a little bit of commitment. So what makes a really good owner from the side of a PM team, it's a, that honest communication, very, very shockingly candid. Mm. It's also over communication. I think one of the biggest tiger pits that owners can fall into is that ever popular assumption. Well, I just assumed. Oh boy. Okay. Well, don't do that because I may be your only property management company or your only property management liaison, but you are probably one of seven or 11 or 12 clients that I have. No. I know. Yeah. Right? But we all want to be your favorite client. Let me do that for a second. I think that so many owners forget that. They're, Wait a minute. All my vendors don't work for me and me only. And they're not there for my beck and call. When I call them, they're not obligated to turn my phone call in 10 minutes or less, or it's free kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's not pizza delivery, man. Yeah. Right. And I'm saying this personally. We forget that I am not the only one that's contributing to the living of that vendor be that a roofer, a handyman or a pair person or whatever it may be that I need to allow them to have other folks that they serve and that have other emergencies too and everything like that. Love that. And that's part of it. You have to be shockingly candid and open in your communication, but you also need to have, I think, a realistic expectation. We say this all the time with our site teams. Not everything can be a level one triage. Not everything is a fire drill. And it's easy to forget that sometimes. The other biggest thing that I think you can benefit yourself in that relationship with your property management partner is that as an owner, you need to get comfortable in accepting the answer of no. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the term. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> feel good. So you need to internalize that. Practice saying it to yourself in the mirror, but you need to understand no. And it goes back to what we were talking about before, I right? Like an the, owner the PM's standing job, in the mirror sitting there going, no. No, I wish more would, right. Matt. Yeah. I swear to you, I, some people need to. I, I'm only but allowed they, to they, say that to other people. No one says that to us as owners. Our ego is way too large for that. We cannot accept the term. All joking aside, guys, you're absolutely right, Tara. That we need to learn to accept. For an example, I gave that example. It's a real one about owners asking their PM companies to drop leasing standards to up occupancy. Tara and I have encountered many a property where it became evident very clearly that that's what had been done. And shame on that property management company and on that regional for saying yes. They could have just easily said, I know that's a bad idea. You know, that's a bad idea. How about no? How about we're not going to do that? One of the classic examples is I've had multiple owners throughout these years that have been like, okay, well, I've got a guy. We don't need to put him in the vendor system. We don't need to put him on payroll either. And I'll take care of him under the table. 
which screams liability and is probably making our insurance guy very, very upset, right? Because right. that guy, you know, your brother-in-law, Johnny or whatever, could fall right. off the roof or put a right. nail through his own hand while he's renovating a unit that you're paying him under the table to do. Right. right. And he's not covered. The PM company's job is to reduce paperwork, yeah. really, right? Reduce liability. And when yeah. you've got the guy that falls off the roof, that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> it just is. It is. It's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. It's a bunch of phone calls. Nobody needs that. Like, okay, so no. Guy. Hey, are you okay? Okay, good. I'm glad you're fine. Now <laughs> I got to go through all this paperwork. Here's a Band-Aid. Man. Shove along. That's right. Right. So it's learn to accept the word no and for the good reasons. And when you get that word no, use that as the opportunity to educate yourself as to why. So you don't fall into that same mistake the next time. The other thing too, and this is a me thing, maybe not everybody would agree. I like owners that engage. I like property ownership that wants to be involved. They want to know and to learn and to go, okay, well, walk me through so I can explain the thought process. Because as much as I think it's important for ownership to explain the why behind the what and the how, I want them to hear it from me too, so that they understand the reasoning behind it. But the caveat to that is engage but please stay in your lane. Please. Let's unpack the stay in your lane part in a second here, but I want to just talk about the engaged part of it because too many owners that I do talk to straight up or that I've interacted with as a buyer or in a networking group or whatever, they put too much ownership or responsibility on the property management side. They expect themselves to go buy an apartment building and say, okay, we've closed. We've purchased this building. My work here is done. Here is the keys, property manager. Call me in five years when I can come back and sell this place. And that's not how it goes. That is really abdicating responsibility way too much over to the PM company. Not probably, definitely. Well, it's just not smart business in general for anybody, either side. It's just not a good decision. And I'll use this as an example, because in fairness, when DeRosa was one of my clients, this was, in all honesty, one of the things that made me love DeRosa Group as a client. Even though the site team members, they are on the payroll of the property management company. They are employees of the property management company. As an ownership group, DeRosa treated them as part of the team. That was encapsulated. They were all on the same team. So when you or Irve or Justin would show up on property, you didn't have a site team that was like, oh crap, the owners are here, find a hole and hide because that does happen, you had a site team that was excited and they were excited to show off the whole, look what I can do. And they shared that and you guys shared that excitement with them. So you're engaging. And I think that's really important. Well, the funny thing happens when you treat people with respect, they kind of return the favor. We never wanted to be the owner, the big bad owner showing up in town that they needed to hide from or tell them things under the rug or tell me the not truth or whatever. I want to talk to them and treat them like they're on our team because they are in a lot of ways, right? This is before, before we were managing in-house. Now, shifted to the other side. You're about to go the other side of the spectrum on the owner staying in their lane. Give me an example of what you mean by that. So you, you want to engage, yeah. right? You want to be involved. You want to know the details. Yeah. But you don't want to know the minutia. Yeah. As an ownership level, you don't need to know what is going on from a human resources perspective with a staff member. Mm -hmm. It's none of your business. You don't need to be picking up the phone and calling prospects and saying, why didn't you lease at my property? No, right? That? So like- Do you have people doing that? Yes. We, oh we, my yes, goodness. Yes, I've had that so many times. 
Think of it this way. And I'll use property management software as a perfect example. Okay. When I'm working on the property management side, I want an ownership group that knows what their login and password is to get into the PM software. And they are fluent enough to negotiate and navigate and look at reports and pull some of their own info. Because at the end of the day, my job from a property management standpoint is also to educate ownership group. This is what this means. And this is how you get to that data. I do not, however, and this is the difference between engage and stay in your lane. Even though you have the ability to look at a box score, which shows you how many people walked in or called and what their names were and when they're looking to move, even though you have access to that, it doesn't mean that I want you to pick up the phone and call John Smith and say, hey, I can see that you toured and you were referred by an employee who lives there. And how come you didn't do an application? What didn't you like? <laughs> I've had ownerships that have done that. That's not your role. Wouldn't you love to have that market feedback? But at the end of the day, that's what the property manager is there for. Maybe they can ask that question. Yeah, there's a different avenue to achieve that. And the thing about staying in your lane is that I think it can be easy for ownership groups to kind of get a little micromanaging because they do get invested and they want to get into it, which I get totally. I can absolutely appreciate that. But... Remember, you as an ownership group have an area of focus and expertise, and you have hired and entrusted a property management company who has an area and focus of expertise. Let them do the job. That's my answer. That's great. I love that. I've got to also throw another one out here that I've heard you talk about quite a bit on how to be a good owner, and that is to care about your asset enough and about the people that live there to go into the deal with enough funding to do the right thing. Because I know, and some of you may feel a slight sting when I just said that, right? <laughs> like at the end of the day, yes, it might be attractive to go into a deal super lean and with not that much cash and I don't have to raise that much money or maybe I'll knock this construction budget down in half and not build the playground or not replace the roof or not do whatever. But if you end up flipping back your construction budget to the point that you can't do what's the right thing to do or to renovate apartments or you got to tell the property manager, I can only spend $500 to turn the unit that's got old school wood paneling on the walls or whatever it may be. Or if a tenant calls says, hey, my roof's leaking and the owner says, well, I don't have the money to fix that roof leak right now. So just get up there and put a tarp on it or whatever. Undercapitalization, you're really putting the property manager in a bad situation because I got to go and deliver bad news to a tenant that's like, hey, yeah, I can't fix your roof right now because the owner doesn't want to pay for it. But it's also just not the right thing to do by the people and also by the property by the property management staff. And it's also short-sighted for you as an owner. So I know you could blow our minds with all kinds of crazy stories, but tell me your perspective on an owner having enough capital to do the right thing. All right. So this is where my background and degree in social work is going to show itself for a minute. There are four basic things, at least for me, that I think are supremely important just to start with. Food, water, your health, and housing. And when we start talking multifamily, we are in this amazing ability to provide housing for a ton of people. And it's a fantastic thing to be able to do, but it's also a responsibility. If you're going to step into that, you're acknowledging your responsibility in that. When you come fully funded with contingency money, like the just in case I need it, I cannot stress how much of a smart decision that is, because here's the deal. The just in case you need it is probably going to happen way sooner than you anticipate. It's going to be needed. 
if you have it, you are going to be the hero. You are going to be the hero to your site team, to the vendors, and most importantly, to the residents that this emergency is affecting. When you don't have it, you are very significantly interrupting one of the four basic facets of importance in life. You've just jacked up somebody's house with no ability to fix it, even though you're responsible for it. You've put your site team in the position of having to explain that when in fairness, even they are not going to really be able to explain it. You got to tell somebody we don't have the money. How does that make sense? And it draws the ultimate question of, what do you mean you don't have the money? If you had the money to buy this, would you have the money to fix it too? And that's my general piece of advice. I think the best ownership groups are the ones that are prepared for everything and also proactive enough to try to prevent it from happening at the same time. And I'll give you that's listeners the this as well, that the way to play the long game of real estate is only with enough capital that the unit with the roof leak will eventually move out. They'll eventually realize that there's other landlords out there that will treat them better. And then you have to replace the roof or you'll just have to not replace the roof and keep throwing band-aids at it. And eventually a new owner will come in and buy the property and they will gladly retrade you because of the patch you put on that roof because you didn't do a good job with it to begin with, did you? It will come back and bite you. The only way to fiscally do a great job taking care of your investors is to go in with enough cash. And we believe in the next level at DeRosa. There's levels, right, Tara? There's doing an acceptable job. That means fixing the roof when it leaks, keeping units in good working order, fixing things when they break. That's the minimum standard. And some folks That's operate the below bare that. bare minimum. Yeah. Providing the, the bottom rung of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that needs to test that Tara's referring to. That's that. There we go. Now, you're not being a good landlord by doing that. You're just doing the bare minimum acceptable. Some people will do both the bare minimum. The next level you can do, which I also believe has a rate of return on it, is to exceed expectations. And you're like, wait a minute. I don't have to exceed it. You know, yeah, you do. And I can tell you why. If you go and put in your budget things that are next level, then you bring your property to the next level that do, written above my head, transforming lives to real estate, that do that. Then you can do things like upgrading the pool, putting in new pool furniture if you got a pool, painting the buildings so that they pop and people have pride of ownership, maybe dropping in a community garden. And I'll tell you guys, you can do that on a 10 unit. You can do it on a three unit. You can do it on a 300 unit. You can make the units a little more showable, like stainless steel appliances. Tara and I could keep going on things you could do that are at the next level. And I'll tell you the way that puts money in your pocket. If you take good care of your tenants, they will not move. Your attrition rate of your properties will become less and less because they'll realize, why am I going to go anywhere? This guy just put a barbecue in across the courtyard here from where I live. My kids are playing in the cul-de-sac where we live and they're making friends and all that. And the place feels safe because there's plenty of lighting and cameras and, and all that. My neighbors are nice and all that. And they, they're leasing to good people that want to raise their kids here too. Why would I leave? So your occupancy rate goes up, your delinquency rate goes down because people tend to just pay the rent. If their neighbors are doing that, people are fiscally responsible. It tends to attract more and more of that. It tends to push out folks that are there to be bad actors, to break the law and everything like that. So it makes your property perform better. And then a new buyer that goes to buy it from you one day is going to pay you more for that property because of the way that it's being run. Because at the end of the day, Matt, reputation speaks volumes. And you're building that with your residents, 
There's nothing better from a property management or ownership standpoint of view to have the number one traffic source for new prospects be word of mouth referral. Yeah. And if you run a good asset, you do get that. So guys, bringing it home. Great conversation today with Tara Smiley. Tara, what I'm hearing from you, it's about caring a little bit, going in with a little bit of the human touch on things, being willing to play the long game, and also going in prepared. You can't build the parachute on the way down, although that's what I love to do in my life. You can't do that in apartment building ownership. So that's what I've learned today is you got to go in well-prepared into ownership of multifamily and that. So Tara, final words, any other tips, tricks, summaries you want to give as we wrap up today? No, I think you nailed it. It's communicate honestly, openly, and on time. And do your homework, man. Yeah. That's it. Good stuff. Great having you here, Tara. I always learn a lot. You give an aspect of the business of multifamily ownership. A lot of people don't get to think about it. Again, I, we'll, we'll go back to talking about raising lots of money and doing deals and all the kind of stuff you see about on social media on another day. But today's really about what really matters and really puts a lot of money in your pocket long-term as a multifamily owner, either as an investor or as an operator. Guys. Just a quick plug. We are lucky enough to be doing this program with the best ever show. And you guys are lucky enough to have, for us to have a program. You guys can learn to do what we do. If you liked what Tara had to say today, you can have access to her and her team and all the DeRosa team as well by going to derosagroup.com forward slash best ever derosagroup.com forward slash best ever. There's all kinds of free giveaways and there's even access to see if you qualify for our multifamily accelerator program. Not everybody qualifies. It's not a program for everybody. It's only for people that are really looking to drill in and apply a lot of what we've learned in multifamily and a lot of what we've talked about today to really 10x their multifamily business and take what we give them, which is pretty much a business in a box and all the things that we know that work here at DeRosa and that don't work. And we've put them all in a nice little package that you guys can apply in 90 days to learn how to really build your multifamily business. So go to derosagroup.com forward slash best ever to learn more about how DeRosa Group can help you as an operator achieve the next level or how we can help you in general. Lots of free stuff and stuff for access over there. So Tara, always a pleasure hanging out with you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Best Ever Show. And thank you, listener for listening to the best ever show yet again and for the opportunity to join you guys today. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate, passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.